hello and welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your cordial host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program as uh, we get set to talk about, uh, well, it's quite simple, uh, your money. I would have the sound of a cash register ringing, but try to stay away from the uh, obligatory sound effects and so forth, as much fun as they can be. Uh, talking about uh, your finances and if you're in business, even if you're not in business, even if you're just trying to, as they say, make ends meet. We're going to talk a little bit about all of that with our very special guest here on the program. And we're so grateful that she has joined us here. We're going to jump right in. We'll give you all the particulars that we normally do at the front end of the program a little bit later. Right now, we're going to talk with Susie uh, Carter. She has a website, suzycarter.com, S-U-S-I-E-C-A-R-D-E-R.com. So uh, you might want to jot that down. We'll be linked to her website. You can see it if you're watching uh, our YouTube channel. You can see in the background there her uh, website and her name. Susie, thank you so much for joining us here on the program via Zoom. Thank you, Richard, for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to serve your community and tell the story about the money, honey. The money. It's all about the money. Yeah. <laughs> or as as most people um, love the, the, the line from the movie Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Exactly. And that's what I show my clients, the money, honey. <laughs> now, I want to I want to uh, uh, get something uh, uh, clear with our listeners that, yes, of course, this program is dealing with a lot of uh, more what we like to call esoteric, metaphysical, spiritual concepts. Yes. And that's one of the areas I think we'll touch upon a little later on in the program as well, because a lot of folks are really... <laughs> I mean, you know, they're talking about um, this this one word, uh, and I, I quote this gentleman almost every time I talk about the subject of <clears throat> inflation. Um, and the question in the song that he sings is, who makes what inflate? And I've been watching things as they've been moving forward. I'm not sure that I care for the concept of the uh, the, the law of supply and demand, uh, because what it speaks to me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, we won't go into a lot of this, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, what I'm seeing is nothing, it has nothing to do with supply and demand, it has to do with greed. That people are claiming that it's more expensive to do this, do that, do the other, uh, the supply chain and all, the, and, and all of the other, I call them excuses, because from a more spiritual metaphysical perspective, there's more than enough for everybody on this planet. There's no lack. And yet we've got people screaming lack. Help us to just real quickly, maybe five, ten minutes. <laughs> uh, can you can you give us a little uh, 101 on this? Well, I think there's the there's there will always be a something, right? There'll always be a pandemic. There'll always be a recession. There'll always be a depression. There'll always be inflation. There's always be another mountain to climb, right? And you re you realize it's mindset, and it's not until you become you have a deep spiritual understanding of who you are, not necessarily a religious feeling, but a deep down spirit within yourself that you can take control, right? I believe that finances, wealth is an energy right? And you're either pulling it towards you or pushing it away from you. Our limiting beliefs around money, our limiting beliefs around what we can have and what we can't have is all in our mindset, right? And, and action, right? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> some people go, I meditated, I put a goal board together, Susie. I'm like, there's no money in my mailbox. I'm like, well, what action are you taking? There has to be more than just thinking about it. 
thinking about it and putting an action plan together. Mm -hmm. So it does go hand in hand. And I know from experience, I've survived many recessions, depressions, inflations, you know, pandemics in my businesses, right? I've built 10 multi-million dollar companies to $10 million companies and have weathered the storm. This is just another season. Mm -hmm. right? And so I think we're going to look at, is this season the place you're going to get stuck in? Is this the season that's going to propel you? The great thing about when we do have economic struggle is it levels the playing field. People who are wannabes get, have a tendency to get squeezed out. People who are running businesses and running their life at a higher vibration and a higher level are the people that rise. And so you've got to get your head out of the negativity. You've got to get your head out of the naysayers and stay focused on what is my true purpose, my true intention, and my true calling. I believe, Richard, that my gift from God was my is my life. My gift back to God is what do I make of my life? Right. It's not just about money. Money is a vehicle. Money gives me the opportunity to do things in the world, provide for my family that I couldn't normally do mm -hmm. if I just had a J-O-B. And so entrepreneurship business for me is creativity. It allows me to live a life that's unrecognizable. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today without the entrepreneurial journey. Well, I, I know that uh, and and. I've been working for um, I've, I've been fortunate to have some rather long uh, stints at uh, different jobs, different radio stations, which is honestly, which is unheard of. You, you just don't do that. OK, uh, you you, <laughs> you don't stay at a place for two, three, four, five, 10, 15, 16 years in broadcasting. Mm -hmm. uh, you move around, you jump from station to station. Well, guess what? I didn't do that. I lived right. in Phoenix for 46 years. I worked for one station, um, uh, my very first station, for probably eight to ten years, along with another station I also worked for, um, for uh, 15 years. Uh, then uh, I, I jumped from a, a couple to a couple, three or four other stations in the Phoenix area until 2006, when we moved to Santa Barbara, where I then started working for... Uh, a, a, a company that owned six different stations in the same building. And I would do uh, board work and production work and blah, 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 blah. Then I worked for a TV station for almost a year when I got the job here. I've been here 16 years. Right. That is unheard of. You just don't do that. You know, and I don't expect a gold watch <laughs> because I have no intention of retiring except to put new tires on my truck. Um, right. Because I, I love what I do. But that's one of the problems that we have, especially here in America, is that there are a lot of people who don't love what they do. They've gotten stuck um, uh, as far as um, uh, uh, family business or uh, my, my dad was a coal miner and my grandpa was a coal miner and my, gran uh, you know, my grandma was a coal miner. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, you get caught up in those kinds of things. Well, those types of things are kind of going away. Are you finding that, and this goes to sort of your entrepreneurial statement, uh, in 2008-2009, I remember seeing a statistic that uh, some 100,000 people at one point had lost their jobs due to the recession. Uh, what I don't know if you called it the Great Recession, but... <laughs> I call it the great mollywop upside the head because I got mollywop, ran over, dragged yeah. in 2008. So, <laughs> But here's the thought that came to me, the first thought. Now, granted, I had a job then. Okay, I was working here. Um, my first thought, though, was I wonder how many of those people hated their jobs. 
Right. And then I think it was 2009 and then into 10, the number of entrepreneurial businesses that popped up following that first year, year and a half or so, it was like an explosion of, an entre of entrepreneurial ventures. The, and people apparently got the idea, well, shoot, if I can't, you know, I can't be a coal miner anymore or whatever the industry is. I wonder what I, I, I'd really like to do. And, and they began doing it. Well, we, we've got, we're kind of going through the same kind of thing, only now you're seeing that uh, the unemployment rate is down, but the hiring need has, has gone through the roof. Uh, and you wonder, well, where did all these people go? Now, part of this, and I say this very gently and respectfully, part of this has to do with the number of people we've lost in the last two years, a million people. Now, out of 350 million, that doesn't seem like a lot. It's, it's still a million human beings. Right. And uh, some of them were working. Some of them were retired. Some of them were children. You know, who weren't? But still, we've lost a number of people. But a lot of people are rethinking the traditional nine to five, aren't they? And and it's changing the dynamics of our workplace, but also, isn't it also changing the dynamics of our economics? Well, it's both, right? If you look at about 42% of small businesses went out of business during this particular pandemic, this particular crisis, right? And again, it's a level playing field. And so more entrepreneurs are born inside of a recession, a depression, however you want to create it and know that it's part of the economic cycle. So when I look at the opportunity, it weeds out the weenies, the people that weren't really serious about a business. They were kind of playing at it. It might have been a hobby. It might have been an idea. And then when the rubber met the road, people went out of business. And so there's been a ton of growth inside of this economic trend as well. Businesses rising because of the need, the higher need of people needing services because there is a shortage of people. That's also put pricing through the roof because there's a shortage. I'm in a small town. I can't get anyone <laughs> in my little small town to show up like any kind of contractor, any kind of builder to show up to do anything. So, you know, now I'm this home improvement maven, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Doing all this stuff to look at, wow, the market has really shifted. Or if they do show up, prices are astronomical. So I think it will correct itself, right? It always does. Yeah. But as an opportunity to look at if you've lost your job, if you've been furloughed, to go, what would I do? You know, there it is a process and a creative process to go, what is that gift that I have that nobody else has? What's that thing I do naturally? Like you're a natural interviewer, you're natural uh, commentary, you're, that's just your nature. And so you found this perfect sweet spot, that's why it's fun for you. Same for me, I feel like I don't ever have to work. This is work, right now I'm working. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh, this is so much fun for me. I get to talk to people, I get to talk to you, I get to meet amazing people, I get to travel all over the world, I get to make a difference in people's businesses. That's my goal. I remember launching my business. I'm like, oh, I'd love to be a speaker. Well, what would I speak about? What do I know? You know, and it's tapping into what is that bigger purpose for you? What's that thing that only you can do? What's that thing that you do naturally that all your friends come and say, oh, can you help me with this? Can you do this? Can you do that? That's a place to start. I think people have a hard time really looking at, well, what would I do outside of this J-O-B? Because our society trained us 
from an early age to go get a job. Mm. Now, different generations, newer generation, they're not like you. They're not staying 16 years. They're staying two years tops, right? Mm -hmm. That's a long work history right now, which is hilarious. I'll look at a resume and they're moving every year. I'm like, what is up with you? And they're like, what? It's opportunity. I want, I want a new skill set. They've got a great strategy around it when I ask them, but I'm used to people like you where we stayed inside of organizations. I grew businesses and sold businesses, right? So I stayed inside of that trend of building that for myself. Mm. So uh, this is the opportunity to look at what's the need. And there's a ton of need coming up. How can you do it better? How can you serve that client better? Right. What results can you help people produce? One of the philosophies that I have operated on uh, pretty much my entire career. And I have not, I had a business for one year. I think it was like 1994, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> And I shut it down after the first year when I went to do my taxes because <laughs> I wasn't aware of all of the intricacies. And I owed the, uh, the IRS. Uh, actually, it's the U.S. Treasury you write your check to $3,000. Yeah. And I said, the next time I start a business, I'm going to make sure before I start it that I have a CPA. Yes. Because they will make sure that all of the I's are dotted and T's are crossed, all the correct forms are filled out, all of the, the funds that, are, that come in, they're divvied up the way they're supposed to be so that I don't have to deal with that uh, at the end of the year or quarterly or however that works out. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about one of the philosophies uh, that I have lived by for 43-plus years. And the reality is I think I probably got it when I was a paper boy all the way through how four years in high school and even uh, eighth grade. I delivered newspapers in Phoenix. I have to tell you that and I share this with others. I love doing this, what we're doing right now. Right. But if it were possible for me to go back in time and be a paper boy again, I would do it. And I'll tell you why. It's actually along the same lines of what's happening here. I get to meet some of the most incredible people. We had some of the most incredible conversations. I made some good friends. Uh, it, it was, it, and I was delivering in the same area for four straight years. And it was great. In addition to the fact that I was my own boss, I was outdoors, which I love being outdoors as well. Uh, it was it was a great job. Uh, but I'll tell you about that philosophy in just a moment. As soon as I tell our listeners, you're listening to uh, Susie Carter, and we are talking about uh, the the money game, if you will. She has a website. It is, of course, uh, her name, actually. It is Susie Carter with a D. That's S-U-S-I-E-C-A-R-D-E-R.com. Her latest book is Power Your Profits, plural, Power Your Profits. Now, you can get Susie's new book for, and I'm curious about this. I want to ask you about this in just a moment, for $26.88. And you also get a book that has bonuses up to $6,800 in value. So I hope you'll uh, check that out. I think it's important for all of us to to get on not so much the money train, but the, the mindset train that there's more than enough for everybody because we all don't want the same things. And we're going to continue talking about those things as we do so here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, we are here with uh, Susie Carter. We're talking about her her book and the work that she does, having owned uh, $20 million in businesses. It was two businesses, each of worth about $10 million. And she wants to help you to go from 10000 
I need your help just to get to 10,000, Susie, uh, <laughs> so that I can then go to 10 million. Although I do have to tell you that I said this early on in my career, maybe two or three or four years in, and I said it to my employer, and I shared this with someone. They said, what the hell? Why were you sharing that with your employer? I said, well, because that's how I feel. I said, you know, if I could do this uh, for free, volunteer, and I knew that my bills would be paid and that I'd have food on the table, clothes on my back, a place to lay my head at night, I'd do this for nothing. Yes. I, I, that's how much I enjoy it, right? That's a passion right there. Yeah. That's a passion, Richard. I feel the same way. Yeah. And we've done it, right? We've done it for yeah. free or pennies. That's yes. Might as well have been free, like in your early days to go, oh, this is my love. This is my passion. I believe that's yeah. what we're supposed to have in our life. Yeah. Not something you dread and can't wait for the weekend. Yeah. Right. Weekends are great and you're doing stuff. But if you hate what you're doing every oh. day, what's that doing to your health? Oh, yeah. Right? That's why we're overweight as a society. That's why we're, we have so many isms, alcoholism, gambleism, sexism, like whatever your ism is. Right. Right. To go, yours and I just have to be workaholism. It's very healthy because we love what we do. The work starts for me, Richard, when I stop working. All of a sudden, I'm like, well, what am I doing? I want to work on Richard's business. That's so exciting. I can see the plan. I can see the future. Yeah. So I think that's our goal is to find, you know, what is that passion that you want? And yeah. do you have the mindset? You don't have to be an entrepreneur, right? And the entrepreneur mindset just gets you to that next level. When I look at the most successful team members that I had working in my businesses, they had an entrepreneurial mindset, meaning it wasn't a nine to five job. They didn't have, you know, like I gotta go home. It was, no, we have a project, we have a deadline, we were outcome uh, based, right? right. Results based. Mm -hmm. And so as people, if we, be, we become results based, that allows you to start building the discipline Right. Versus, you know, I've had friends in the past. I had an ex-husband. We call him a husband, you know, that was like, <laughs> I just want it easy. You know, I just like this job because it's easy. Like, really? that That's what you want to spend eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day doing something easy. You don't have to engage your mind. You don't have to yeah. engage yeah. who you are. Right. I had a very stressful job, but it was still like. I'm looking for the easy. There's no quick money, right? Whether you think it's quick money, if you hate what you're doing, that's the hardest money you will ever make, right? Let's do something that you're passionate about. My very first book, I've written 10 books. My very first book, Richard, was called Passion. My editor read it and my title is not that sexy, right? And she's like, Susie, I read this book and you're so passionate about this industry. We need to call it Passion. And I'm like, Eva, that sounds like we're selling some sex or something. She goes, well, exactly. That sex sells. So we're going to leverage that. But you're so passionate about what you're talking about. And I am. I'm fierce about business. I'm fierce about my family. I'm fierce about people's profitability because it was so hard for me to learn. Mm -hmm. This did not come naturally for me. I'm a creative right? I'm intuitive. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a builder. That whole 85%, 15% of your financial success is the vocation that you do. The 85% is where people get stuck. That's the sales, the marketing, the operations, and the finance. Yeah, That was hard for me, right? But I had to figure out how to do it to take care of my family, provide for my family, provide for my children. Mm. That was been, my picker was off, dude, that was a bad... <laughs> relationship right i left that with two little kids right no alimony no child support and i figure out how to do it right how do i take care of my family that was my why that was my big why first is my children and my family and never wanting to be in that situation again 
right? To where I felt held hostage by mm. having to stay or having, which I see most, a lot of people get stuck and be held hostage with their job. I have to stay because I'm making six figures or I have to stay because of these things. Yeah, but then you don't have a life that you love. And isn't that why we're doing what we're doing is to have a life that you love? Yeah. Yeah, wait till you retire. You, t- you look at retirement statistics. Most people die within the first five years, right, of retirement. And it's higher with men because all of a sudden my purpose is gone yeah. thinking, oh, I'll enjoy life then. No, no, no. We need to enjoy life now, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. while we're on this journey to that next season. Yeah. My father's 90. All right. Ooh, he, that's some good genes, my brother. Yeah. So I have to live to be 100. I have to outlive my mother's grandmother who lived to be 100. Wow. Um, good genes. Good genes. I'm hoping and I got to get some new genes, too. But uh, <laughs> that's another story for another program. My philosophy has always been if you, uh, it, whether and then to me, this applies whether you are an employee or whether you are an employer, an entrepreneur with people like you have staff. And the philosophy goes like this. I want to make you successful because if I make you successful, then I'm successful and not the other way around. Why is that one so hard for some people to get? Because I do believe it's a truism. I think that you would agree with it, that if my goal as an employee is to try to get a raise every year and a promotion and all those kinds of things. I'm more interested in me. Whereas, and then along the same lines, they have this attitude. And, and I remember seeing a, or hearing an article or a news story back in the mid-80s about Motorola. <clears throat> and they laid off like a thousand people. And they even gave the reason why. And the reason was because um, they had done an audit of the materials and they they said there's a million dollars worth of materials missing mm. and we gotta we gotta cut somewhere and odds are some of the people who were pilfering were probably some of the people who were let go you know karma is what it is <clears throat> but I also thought that some of those people who were let go also did not like their job did not like their employer whether they pilfered or not and um, it's like why are you biting the hand that feeds you? Right. And, and well, I, I've mean? had some horrible employers uh, from time to time. Not a lot. But I had one. And, and I was not going to give him the satisfaction of quitting. They had to lay me off. And then they gave me a massive severance package. And in radio, you don't do that unless you have a contract. So right. I knew that they knew that they had done me wrong. But I stayed. Because I loved what I was doing and I didn't want to start looking for another job all of a sudden. But what about that attitude? Do do you think that that attitude is still prevalent or because of what we've been through in the last two years and some of the changes in our workplace as well as our economy, that maybe that's sort of on the way out because people are realizing, oh, wait a minute, it is is up to me, not not up to quote unquote the man. Well, I think they're the millennials, right? So if you look at the boomers, the boomers, we were actually called the me generation, right? We were very self-centered. But the new millennials, it's the me, me, me generation, right? If you look at that age group, 58% of college students have scored higher in narcissism. It's all about me. Who cares about you? Hmm. And so I still see it in hiring trends, the younger generation just believing they deserve it. 
that, you know, our kids got trophies for just showing up versus when we were kids, we got trophies because we did something or we didn't. Right. So I think we raised this society of me, 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 instant Google download, instant satisfaction, microwave food, microwave this now, now, now. And so the pivot and the reality check is as employers standing stronger to go, I I don't want to keep the spoiling going. Right. I will pay you 100 grand, but you got to earn 100 grand. Right. I'm just not writing you a check for 100 grand because you went to some school. No, Mm. not going to happen. Now, some industries will. Right. But you, you've got to look at what culture do you create inside of your business? Culture is incredibly important. Right. When you look at creating a culture that thrives or culture that's responsible, a culture that's results based versus a culture that has their hand out going, what do you got for me now? What do you got for me now? What do you got for me now? You know, and looking at how do I create that? Because money, when I look at employee satisfaction, money isn't the number one. Right. It's the ability to make a difference. Like a lot of it's cause motivated. Right. Those are the reason why people stay at companies. Money's there. It's in the top five. It's just not number one or two. And most people think, oh, it's number one. Mm -mm. I've had some amazing talent in my career come work for me. I didn't have the budget to pay them. Right. And incentivize them and had an amazing work environment. So people would stay. People would give their genius. People would contribute more. And so I think we overlook what a culture can do for a small business and even a large business mm-hmm. to manage the culture. You manage the outcome. Does it make any difference whatsoever whether you think of your business on a local scale, regardless of what it is? <clears throat> and obviously, if you're let's just say uh, in the hospitality industry, it's obviously local for the most part. Uh, or if you broaden your perspective, if this is a correct term, uh, to um, to realize and recognize that d- despite what anybody else says, I am sorry, folks, but this is a global marketplace. OK, and you better get used to it because that's not going to change. No, it's actually getting more relevant. Right. A lot of people thought, oh, you know, how am I going to do business? My first training company, it's so funny, was called uh, Salon Training International. We were the largest training and development company in the beauty industry, Richard. And I remember this French company came to me and said, oh, do you have trainers that speak French? I'm like, uh, no. They're like, it says Salon Training International. I'm like, I will find one. <laughs> right? so, realizing we had this name, but we weren't in any way have the ability to do international training without an interpreter, right? Most times we had an interpreter if we did it. And so that still worked. But really looking at, you can, back in the day, this was 20 years ago, right? Looking at what international meant then versus international now. I'm talking internationally every single day, right? I'm talking to Europe. I've got a marketing person that's in Europe. I've got a bu- another business that's in Costa Rica. That's one of my businesses, right? And our business is housed in Costa Rica, but we, we do business in Singapore on a regular basis. So it, it completely changed the framework of how I run my own personal business, which I would have never thought about that even 10 years ago, that I would have a business in Costa Rica and Singapore and the U.S. and serve a global market. And so I think it's important that we look at what are the trends, right? Global business isn't going to go away. And how do you do business in a global market, right? You need coaching. You need support in that. I had to hire a company that specialized in finances in Singapore because it's different, right? The conversion is different. How we do our taxes is different, right? How we do our bookkeeping is different, 
right? It's all paperwork, but it's important that we get that paperwork right. Just like you found out that you owed the IRS, you know, three grand. That can be a molly wop if you owe 10, 20, 30 grand, right? At the yeah. end of the year, depending on how much money you make. And so I think as a global economy, it makes it fun. It makes it, uh, you learn a lot about different cultures and you also have to make sure your culture speaks to that culture. The sexy yeah. thing is a lot of countries want to know the American way. That's the sexy thing, right? And again, if I look at the not one of the number one reasons why businesses fail is pricing. You're not pricing yourself to be profitable. And then if you add a global market on top of that, you could really lose money fast. And so if I look at my students that are coming to me, they don't know how to price their services. They pulled it out of their genius zone or their hiney, right? How much is Richard <laughs> charging? How much is Susie charging? I'm going to charge this. And that's one piece of it. You do need to do, you know, um, competitive analysis, but that's not the end all be all. My overhead where I live in Richard's overhead is completely different. He's in Santa Barbara. I'm in Oregon. Completely different overhead based on where we sit in the world. Right. Based my Costa Rican business and the expenses there are way less expenses than my American business. Right. So Singapore is similar. Right. In spend. Right. We have a lot of talent that we hire. I would say 70 percent of our talent right now, Richard, is overseas. Right. Because it allows my dollar to go farther. I can find amazing uh, team and amazing work for pennies on the dollar in the U.S. It's it's amazing money for them, but it allows my budget to go stronger. Like that one little shift in a business can be the difference between profitability and no profitability. So it's going there, whether you're sitting here waiting for it to be different or if you're jumping on the trend to go, oh, we are in a global marketplace. How do I thrive in a global marketplace? Because anything we do, you're going to have a learning curve, right? So let's make the learning curve work for you versus you be on the on the end of that. Let's try to be those early adopters and be in the front of it. You're going to make mistakes. That's just business. I've learned that a long time ago. Business is up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. It's don't stay in the down. When it's down, get get your honey out of the down and get back up again. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you used a key word we like to talk about here on the program, and that is thrive. We're trying to move out of the mode of surviving to thriving. Uh, and and to me, that's extremely important. And I want to talk a little bit about that as we continue talking with Susie Carter. SusieCarter.com is the website. We'll be linked to her website so that you folks can find out more about the work that she is doing, as well as pick up a copy of her book, uh, Power Your Profits. That's plural. Power Your Profits. We hope that you will go to our website. It's, I'm sure, available as well on Amazon and many other locations as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with Susie, Susie Carter. And uh, Susie, first of all, in regards to your book, I noticed the, the pricing. Now, I know enough about sales, and I guess it's part of marketing too, that when you price something, it has been said that if it's if you're going to have cents, dollars and cents in your price, even if it's six hundred whatever it is, uh, six hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents, that's not seven hundred dollars. Right. It looks less than that. But yours is priced at, and I don't know if you had any control over this, twenty six dollars and eighty eight cents. Can you explain why? Because that, that's kind of an odd pricing. It is an odd pricing, and I had no control of it. That's a Simon & Schuster, right? Okay. Simon & Schuster is my publisher, right? And the, But there was strategy to everything, right? The book color, right? The buildings on the book, mm -hmm. everything about that had strategy inside of it, which I love, 
right? So yes, you are right. It, it, it removes the barrier that it's not that next dollar amount or that, that 90 cent amount. Um, so, and you had said earlier, we give you a ton of bonuses. People go, how, why are you giving $6,000 worth of bonuses? Well, cause it's training that's sitting in my archives, right? That that's what we sold it for. And I, they're the companion to the book. I want to give you the tools you need so that you can start building a business, whether you buy the book and get the tools and do it on your own, or you buy the book and come to a training and I help you through it through a training, or you buy the book and you come into a program that we do. I don't care how you get your information. I learned a ton as a student by books. Books were my first mentors, right? As a young entrepreneur, not having a budget to hire people. Books are amazing. I still use them as a resource every single day. And I like a physical book. I like, you know, I have eBooks, but nine times out of 10, I don't get my Kindle out and read it, right? I love the physical book. I'll carry it around. I'll bring it on vacation, right? It's it's on every nightstand in my book, in like my coffee table, my nightstand. I just keep carrying it with me. And the book, Richard, is really designed not as a, uh, it's not in a sequential order, although it is because I have a great editor. But if you suck at math, go straight to chapter eight. Math is money. Money is fun. Like don't go anywhere else, right? If you really need to get the vision of your business, I want you to start at the beginning of the book. Get your mindset right. If you suck at sales, you're like, Susie, I don't know how to close. Great, go to chapter six. I give you my $100,000 sales script that I close $100,000 clients with every time I use that script. So it's not sprinkle fairy dust. It's not ideas. I've been doing it. I've been in business for 30 years. It's everything that I had to do to build seven figure and eight figure businesses. Right. It's the blueprint of making that business work. Mm. We are talking with Susie Carter and uh, she is sharing with us her insights and uh, helping you uh, to um, not necessarily become a millionaire. That I don't think is the, the, the point of all of this. It's to help you to change your perspective. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you for being with us. Susie Carter is my guest, and she has a book called uh, <clears throat> uh, called Power Your Profits. And uh, I think it's very interesting, too. I was looking at uh, one of the web pages, and I, I, I like the color, although I think it's – I don't know if it's the right or the wrong green. I don't know if it should look like the dollar bill green. But I noticed that you were wearing, in one of the images, you were wearing a big uh, – a, a blue dress. Yes. Um, now – in movies and television, they will show you something in a single shot, okay? And they don't do that for no reason. There's a reason why. So I'm curious. There's a reason why we do everything. There's a reason why I have behind me uh, the images that I do or why I wear the hat. Um, first of all, I like to look and, um, you know, I guess that's sort of my brand. Uh, why I use the phraseology that I use in, in my uh, programs here about uh, giving people uh, choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. Looking for those new ways of living because the old ways don't work. All you have to do is look around you. They aren't working. And that's why we have the people on like yourself, Susie. So I'm curious, uh, can you tell me, was it just, I just grabbed it out of the closet or was that a, a, a conscious choice? This is the color because it actually works well to set off the book. Well, actually, uh, it is a brand color for my brand, right? So the book, again, strategically, we had a focus group. We had several different um, covers of the book that the focus group chose that color. Um, the color is very on brand, very on trend. Interesting enough, books with three 
letters in the title, Power Your Profit, were higher selling than books that didn't, that had more words. So again, strategy. The brand colors for my brand, that is one of my brand colors, that blue. And we know um, historically that blue, like red, blue is a power color. And so it is important to really look at everything that you do inside of brand, inside of branding. Color is the one of the most powerful things that you can really look at. The color blue represents trust, responsibility, dependability, all qualities that everyone that aspires inside of a company. Now you, you have to walk that talk. You can't just put on a blue shirt, right? You have to be that as well, but it is important. You same with red, right? Red is an action color. And so when you're looking at how do I, when I first started, when I first started business, even though I was in the um, beauty industry, it was driven by men and men were the decision makers. And one of the first classes I went to, they're like, you got to wear a suit, it needs to be a blue suit with an accent of red. I had short hair, you know, trying to be as masculine as I could to fit in this man's world, right? As a 25 year old trying to be trying to be serious as business, take me seriously, you know, and going, that's part of the game, right? Don't hate the person, you know, hate the game, not the player. <laughs> and so when you know the rules of business, it becomes fun. I think we resist it, right? Stop resisting it. It is, it's a game, right? Your hat is a game. It's part of your brand. It's part of your signature style, right? Showing up in, in our meetings now, right? Having a virtual background versus your bedroom, like, I was on a publishing meeting and the young gal, she was literally sitting on her bed. I'm like, honey, we're going into this meeting. You need to get off that bed. I don't care where you go. We're not having a meeting. You sitting with your bed in the background. She's like, oh, so it takes your professionalism down and you're working for a major publisher. Like, no, we can't have that because people judge you moment by moment by moment, right? You're forming 11 different opinions about somebody in 60 seconds. Yeah. You decide if they wanna do business with them. You decide if they're married, if they're single, if they're looking. You decide if they're funny, you decide if they're intelligent, just by the way that they look and carry themselves. So it's a game. Again, go, am I using all the assets, all the resources around me to play an important part in the game? If you're getting passed up for a promotion, a job, look at yourself first. From your being to your attire, there was a study statistically said that people that groom themselves professionally, meaning you you have a look, like you have a brand, you have a look, make 20% more than people who don't. Okay, well, if I'm going to put lipstick on or do my hair, or you're going to put a hat on to make 20% more and create a brand, okay, then that's what we're going to do, right? So I think it's important that you realize what's stopping me is probably me. Hmm. You are the biggest stop block inside of your growth and development by being righteous, by being stuck in the old way, by not wanting to move with the trend, by not liking the way it is. It is what it is. How mm -hmm. do we leverage what it is and make the most of what it is? Almost two years ago, speaking of which, I began and I had been doing uh, video recordings of my interviews on Skype and switched over to Zoom but I had been recording those and uh, but I wasn't really I was just taking the audio. I was extracting the audio. And so two years ago, almost two years ago, July of 2020, I started working with a gentleman on what we what was termed Zoom theater. We were actually doing theater on Zoom. We would record it. And then I started video editing. I wasn't doing that before. I've never liked television or anything to do with a camera uh, and recording interviews and so forth because 
It takes so much to prepare, whereas with audio or radio, you sit down, you flip a switch, you start the recording, and boom, you're off and running. It's almost instantaneous. And yet, I said, hey, you know what? <clears throat> this is where we are now, early in the pandemic. Um, I, 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 at least I get to see these people, even if I can't be with them in person, that kind of stuff. Uh, and and it just it it just worked. And so now that's what I'm doing. I recorded these videos as we're doing here on Zoom and we have a YouTube channel now. So I yeah. produce them up. I put an intro. I put an outro. <clears throat> I, I put all of the for example, people watching the YouTube video right now, what they see, not only in terms of what's behind me, my virtual background, but what's behind you, your virtual background above you is your website address. Below you is your name. And the same for me, not your name, but mine below yeah. me and my website above. And then between the two of us, I have an image of your book yeah. and it's there through the entire interview. OK. And I then I have that. images at the beginning of my brand and, and uh, promoting because uh, uh, you mentioned this earlier. You talked about uh, <clears throat> uh, intuition, promoting the decade of perfect vision where we encourage people to go within and listen to that still small voice. Spend time in that quiet, peaceful, calm place. I used to think if I could find that one place on the planet where I could just get away from everything, all the sounds and the people and everything, you know, I, it would be great. And then I began to process that forward and thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. But but if I can find it, then so can other people. Mm -hmm. and I thought, darn it, there's no place until I really started getting into the understanding of the still small voice in that inner space or what some people from uh, the biblical perspective might call your your prayer closet of sorts, which is that inner yeah. life. And then I realized oh, there is a place that nobody else but me can get to. Yes. And boom. And, and, and so it's like, great. I want to talk to you about that as we continue. We're talking with Susie Carter and we're talking about the work that she's doing, the book that she has out right now that you obviously, if you're watching YouTube, you can see the book and it's called Power Your Profits. That's plural. You can power your profits. It's created more than more millionaires and multimillionaires than any other single strategy or uh, tactic today. We hope that uh, that includes you folks as you continue listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host and uh, Susie Carter is my guest and SusieCarter.com is the website. We hope that you will go there to pick up a copy of the book. And there's a lot of stuff on her website that doesn't cost you a thing. But when you go there and you do order the book for $26.88, which is, again, I love, I think that that price actually helps it to stand out in such a way if you think about it, Susie, I don't know if you've processed this or not. Six and two are eight, and then you have 88. And that's infinity. Three times. Infinity cubed. Okay. <laughs> I don't know well, what that you know means. What? That's going to be my new answer. I'm just going to say that out loud, Richard, because that's a good one. I'm going to give you kudos for that. And yep, I'm going to tell my friend Richard brought this to my attention because that's pretty profound. Yeah. Infinity cubed. And that's really the reality <clears throat> of this universe is just that. Some would say, oh, it's finite. No, it's not. It's right. infinite. The, the Especially the fact that thoughts create things, as we all are aware of. And so 
uh, everything is made of energy and you cannot destroy energy. You just change and transform it. And that's really what I think you're talking about. And one of the things that I would like to talk to you about, in addition to so many other things that we may not have time for, um, I think this is this is important from that inner life perspective on how to reshape. I'm going to put it personally. How do I how to reshape my relationship to money? How do I do that? Where do I start? I love that you you ask that because it starts with first, what are your beliefs around money? So we have these limiting beliefs. We have inherited beliefs that we got from our mother, our father, our grandparents, our great grandparents, from our culture, from our churches, mm -hmm. that may not be your beliefs. Like I grew up in a very large family. There was nine kids, right? Two wow. parents. There was Bobby, Ronnie, Stevie, Terry, Joni, Shelley, Susie, Kelly, Debbie. <laughs> and so we grew up in an, in an environment. There was 1,200 square feet, right? There was six girls, one bathroom. I, I go back to that house. I'm like, how? How did all these people, how did we all eat dinner together in this tiny little dining room? Like we had one of those restaurant um, booths. That's oh how my. we had dinner. Wow. We all shoved in there. <laughs> so I guess we were little, right? <laughs> when I think about all the kids. But what I learned about money is there is none, don't ask. Money doesn't grow on trees. And if you want to make it, go earn it. That was my belief around money. Mm. We grew up from poverty. We, and we were the kind of poor that we knew we were poor. It wasn't like, you know, you hear people say, oh, we grew up, but we didn't know we were poor. No, we knew we were the poor kids, right? Our whole community was impoverished. And so there wasn't like this lifestyle that you could see and go, oh, I want Richard's life or I want Susie's life or I want, there wasn't. It was just like, this sucks. <laughs> and so from 10 years old, I'm doing laundry, I'm doing yard work, I'm washing windows, I'm cleaning houses, I'm doing, you know, babysitting to earn money to buy the things that you want, whether it was a bicycle, skates, a moped, a car, right, whatever it was. Mine, I had this fixation with underwear, because with that many children, you share everything. And I just <laughs> wanted my own underwear, Richard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so I had a, at becoming an adult, I knew I didn't want that lifestyle. I wanted something different. I didn't know how to get there. But I had to start to identify, you know, I grew up in um, the 70s and 80s and transformational work and positive thinking and Wayne Dyer, right? When you start looking at Ken Blanchard or some of the old godfather Zig Ziglar, who said that you could really shift what your environment is by what you think about, you talk about, what you talk about, you bring about. And so I started this work early on and started really looking at what did I want to create for my life. Mm. And so I have, you know, in each area of my life, one, I had to recreate my financial premise, my financial belief, because money is just a vehicle, but I had to create a premise. I had to create a vision for my life, right? And when I think about my vision, my vision is I'm prosperous and I respect money and value the contribution it provides for me and my family. I'm a financially abundant woman creating my own financial destiny. I value investing and saving for my future and create strategies that plan around me. Everything I touch turns into opportunity, which turns into prosperity for myself, my children, and my community. Hmm. My financial wealth changes communities. I support women and entrepreneurs who want to learn how to be accountable and responsible for their own destiny. Giving small business loans and grants to start a new business, 
or an enterprise that makes a difference in the world. So when you think about money and you hear that, it's not about the money. It's the opportunity that money allows me to provide for my family, for my community, for a bigger vision. Money's that vehicle. But you've got to look at what is that belief that you're carrying around from your parents and your grandparents and your community, right? If you grew up in a, in a spiritual world, right, in a church, right? A lot of my students grew up in this in churches and there was a lot of times there's not a healthy relationship that we have to suffer, right, and give everything away. Well, I tithe, I give away, but I'm also taking care of myself. And you, you're going to get your, your jewels here. You don't have to just wait till you get in heaven to get your crown and get your jewels. Hmm. I believe God wants us to be abundant because the more abundant I am, the more good I can do in the world, right? I, I, I can't disagree with you at all on those points, although the one of the things that has always troubled me because I worked for 15 years at a Christian radio station and during the uh, height of televangelism in the 80s and early 90s, and that just turned me off like you would not believe. I heard the words they were saying, yes. but the, 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 the fact that they were taking, from my perspective, they were taking yes. advantage of people and their well, vulnerability. Yes. That's what disturbed me. But, it, but in every business, I will say this, Richard, mm -hmm. in every business, there are charlatans. Yes. Every business. There's yeah. a lot in mine, mm -hmm. right? There's so many people who are just taking people's money and not giving them the service and the value, yeah. right? So there's ev there's good in, in environments and there's bad in environments. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. what we have to do, like you did, you discern, like, wait a minute, that's not aligned with my values. That's not aligned, yeah. with, aligned with my integrity. I can't be here anymore, right? Because you can sit in it for a minute and then you're like, this... This doesn't even resonate with me. This just feels yicky, icky. I'm saying icky, right? Every time you do something, that's your that's your internal compass. That's your integrity. Mm -hmm. And the degree of your aliveness is to the degree of your integrity. And so if your integrity is out, like that was an integral piece for you to go, wait, I believe this, but this is not right. This is not my belief system. Yeah. And that's a big wake-up call. That's where you're saying, if I got quiet in my mind and listened, what would my body tell me? What would my heart tell me? Yeah. What would my higher purpose tell me? Because mm -hmm. I don't think spirituality has to be God. I call it God. That's my higher sure. being. But I don't have to go to a box. I don't have to go to a church. I can go sit on my river. I can go sit at the ocean and be more present to God and my spirituality than I can in a building mm -hmm. and sing a song, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I like that, and that's good sometimes. But what, what sure. I want is that presence of spirit, that presence of God. And I wonder, uh, in your experience and, and the folks that you associate with on a day-to-day -day basis, especially who are in business, who may actually own businesses, do you find that that is starting to become uh, more incorporated, that that inner understanding that, uh, I mean, I'm, again, I know that you will present that uh, in, in, in uh, uh, say, lectures or, or what have you uh, to groups of people, whether it's in, on Zoom or whether it's in person on stage. But do you find that some of the um, more well-established, long-term corporations that exist today, do you see that starting to become a part of their day-to-day or at least within some of the areas of that corporation where they're starting to realize, you know, this, you know, it's, it, there's gotta be more as, as that old song is, is that all there is? And right. they're starting to realize they're starting to ask that question is this is it. 
Well, I think as people, we're starting to ask that, right? You get to a certain level where you buy all the things, you do all the things, you buy the house, you buy the car, you, you have whatever this image is in your head, and then you're still not fulfilled. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's that calling that you start to go, well, wait, what is it? Right. Like you said, is this all there is? Now, I don't work with a lot of corporations. I work more entrepreneurial so that mm-hmm. we go to about 50 million and then that's really my cap. But what I do notice is I have a lot of uh, spiritual people in our community. And it's funny when I'm speaking, I always say, God, I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm not putting my beliefs on you. Right. That's just where I where I tap into. And people will pull me aside, Richard, and go, are you a Christian? And I'm like, why are we whispering? <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to get flogged? Are we going to get, you know? Yeah. It hurts my heart that people aren't self-expressed because they're going to be judged. But if the tongue in my mouth and the tongue in my shoe are going in the same direction, you can judge me. You know, like what you experienced at the Christian Network was the tongue in their mouth and their tongue in their shoe are going in different directions. I'm saying this, but I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. Like I'm clear at the end of the day that I lay my head down. I'm in integrity with my word, my spirit, my students. To go, I don't want that in my space. I don't want that on my conscious. Now, I may hurt somebody. I may say something stupid, right? And I'm open to having Richard come and say, hey, you said that. That didn't really work for me, you know, or you offended me. Okay, great. I work in a a very multicultural community. So I have a tendency, I can step on people's toes, right? I had a student um, say to me one day, because we were talking about growing a business and we're talking about me training. I'm like, I fire hose people. And, you know, we ended the training and she said, can I talk to you? I said, absolutely. She goes, Susie, you can't use that reference as a white woman. I'm like, well, why? She goes, think about the 60s and what happened with fire hose. And now you're telling us as African-American students that you're fire hosing us with content. I get your context, but it's not appropriate. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. I apologize. I apologize if anything I've ever said offended you. And I can see where that context would offend you. Mm -hmm. And so I will be responsible. Now, does it offend everybody? No, but it offended her. And I'm sure it offended her. There's probably somebody else in my community that I unconsciously offended. So I don't want to do that on purpose. Yeah. I was looking at new homes and you can't say master bedroom anymore. And I was like, well, why can't you say that? You have to say main living space or main you know bedroom area and it goes back to slave quarters and the master's house and the master's room and i'm like oh okay whatever i i respect that i understand that and it makes people uncomfortable that's awareness that's responsibility not getting mad at me because i said it not hating me because i said it to hold me accountable if i don't change my behavior if i don't change and be conscious and responsible for what i said right, then that's a different story, right? So I either push people to, they either love what I'm talking about or they don't love what I'm talking about, which is great. Yeah. <clears throat> Sooner, quicker, faster. Decide I'm the right for you, decide I'm not right for you. That's okay. I'm not for everyone. And that's what Richard said. There's so much abundance that if I'm not the right person for you, there's somebody else that I can direct you to. There's somebody else Richard can direct you to. There's so much many people in the world that want to help you. Right. I'm not attached to I have to help every single person. Yeah. I want to impact a million small businesses, you know, in our country and teach them about profitability in their business. And it can be fun so that we can create these businesses that are making a profound difference in the world in every community and what you look like. Because we talked about your image. Right. And we talked about, you know, everything being video now. You've got to be on video. 
And you, people need you. They need to see Richard like Richard. They need to see me like me. They need to see my students like they are, whatever they look like. However big or small or pretty or, you know, whatever they think they are or not, whatever. We need to see that person so we see ourselves. Yeah. So there's plenty of room and plenty of opportunity. You know, I've often thought of the First Amendment freedom of speech uh you know, it's it's not <clears throat> it's not a, a, a one sided sword, if you will. It's two sided. It's two edged. Yes, you can say whatever you want. But the other edge is you also have to take responsibility for what you are saying. You can't just as the as I guess I don't know if the Supreme Court ruled on it this way or not. You cannot yell fire in a crowded movie house. Right. And uh, um, and so I, I sometimes wonder about uh, about that. We talk a great deal here on this program about how words have power and your intent when you use those words. That's the power behind those words. I went I went to task uh, with with someone about a politician who who uh, um, uh, basically he wanted to win the governorship in Cal in Arizona, where I was born and raised. And he brought up uh, this this uh, um, criminal court proceeding that his opponent had gone through 10 years earlier. And it had been, I think, dismissed, but he still brought it up. And uh, this person said to me, well, Richard, you are so naive. You're so idealistic. It's just politics. I said, no, it's not, because the individual who is using those examples and those words, their intent is to get into that office to have the power to do whatever it is that they think that they're going to be able to do. So don't tell me that it's just politics and those words don't mean anything uh, because they do. They have some excuse to not hold yourself at a higher standard. Exactly. Like I get to say whatever I want to say and not be my word. What yeah. happened to the word in our country, right? If I say something, it means something. Yeah. My dad said at the end of the day, all you have is your word That's... and who you are. Yeah. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care. Cause you know, as a kid, you're running shenanigans, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and doing stuff. He goes, show me who your friends are. I'll show you who you are. And if you aren't your word, you're not a person to be reckoned with. Exactly. And it's like, I've always remembered that to just be my word. Now I'm going to make mistakes. And I'm, again, I might say something stupid, but I, I will own it, apologize mm-hmm. it, clean up. I think some people think if I have to apologize, then, you know, th- there's a weakness to that. I think there's a power in that. That's Absolutely. Humanity, Absolutely. Right? We're growing as human beings, right? Especially looking at the trajectory of how the world is changing and what our needs are and who, what season we're in, in our business and our life. To go, of course, you're going to do silly things or dumb things or make mistakes, right? That That's what makes us unique. In our trainings, I talk more about my failures than my wins. Great, I've built 10 multi-million dollar companies. Who cares? You wanna hear in my darkest night, how did I not give up? How did I not wanna just throw the talent? You wanna hear the struggle that I had as a single mom raising two little girls, running a business, not having family support, raising my two children by myself, not having any financial support from him. How did I do that, right? Not just on my soapbox of, I'm so great, who cares? Right. Let me hear the truth about how the hardship and then the overcoming. Mm. You know, um, I shared this on a previous program <clears throat> where I was and I, I have said this before, too, that I'm a very optimistic person. My glass is half full. And um, 
I was sort of at a low point not too many days ago. Um, my wife is on family leave due to some issues she's dealing with, the passing of her sister back in early March. I am dealing with the passing of my eldest sister in late March. I am dealing with the challenges that we are faced with financially because she's on family leave, trying to get the paperwork all done. Um, I could add a number of other things to that list, but I, I'll, I'll suffice it to say that I was sharing with someone. Um, I said, you know, this is just kind of how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm, I'm venting. Uh, my intent is not to have this happen. I don't want to draw it to me by any means. But I said, you know, you know how you hear about those people that uh, somehow they get caught up in the judicial system. They find themselves in jail and then they fight and fight and fight. And sometimes it takes 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 days, 10 years or never. <clears throat> and I said, you know, I'm about ready to throw up my hands and say, you know what, if I get caught up in that, I'm going to just give up and say, just lock me away. Because at least I'll have three meals in a cot. I have a place to live, a place to lay my head. And, and I don't have to pay taxes. I don't have to worry about any of this other stuff. Uh, and I, you know, and, and he just kind of looked at me and I says, understand, I'm venting. That's all I'm doing right now. I'm, I don't really want that, but that's, that's my level of frustration. And that was where I was, you know, some days ago. But right. I still feel very optimistic. Uh, one of the things that you talked about, <clears throat> and I think this applies when you were talking about um, uh, uh, not only creating strategic partnerships, but also um, uncovering hidden profit gold, um, uh, uh, gold mines uh, sitting right under your nose. In my career of, of 43 years plus, uh, I have acquired a massive amount of tools. My toolbox is enormous. It's like it's one of those ones you see in the mechanics shop uh, at your local gas station that's on wheels. All right. I've got all these tools in there. And then I ask myself, how come I'm not doing better, especially financially? Why, why, aren't, why, why am I not at the $10,000 mark? You know, that kind of thing. And, 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 and again, I, I, I kind of go back to what we talked about earlier in the program about, well, the reason is because that's not what the real focus is. Yes, you're making enough to where you're able to take care of this, that, and the other thing. Yes, you trust in the universe to provide uh, and so forth. And you're here now talking with Susie, um, Susie Carter about her book, uh, uh, Power Your Profits. And you're here now in spite of, or maybe because of, everything that you've been through, especially on a financial level, but everything else. I've been through one divorce. I have no intention of doing it again. Uh, I've moved <laughs> from, <laughs> I've moved, I have, um, what'd you call them? Um, uh, 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 a past husband. I forget what you, your term was. My husband. Husband. Well, I have a was wife. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that better than X. I, I just have a hard time with that because, yeah. you know, um, but it's like, my God, in spite of or because of everything that you've been through and I've been through, my God, here we are. We're still alive. We're still kicking. We're still doing. So what makes us think that to in the, in the next 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 days, 10 months, 10 years, we won't still be kicking along because we have that something, that spark in us that drives us forward, that makes our shoe tongue go in the same direction as our right. mouth tongue. <laughs> I think there's a, like, there's so much, so much to be unpacked inside of that whole conversation, right? I think like you've said, you found your calling and never attached it to the finances. 
right? When I look at your toolbox now to go, how many young um, broadcasters would love that toolbox, right? So I immediately see, you're talking, I see dollar signs. I see, you know, opportunity. I see online classes. I see, you know, you talking and bringing people, young broadcasters to pave the way. I started this because there wasn't a me, right, in my industry. I'm like, who can, t who's going to tell me the truth? Not some you know, sprinkle fairy dust, like, you know, make a million dollars. Like what, what does it really take to create a million dollars and then have profit, right? My first business, Richard, I, we grossed a million dollars, but we lost $70,000. Okay. That's not a successful business, right? Mm -hmm. And it was humbling to go, well, and, and I won awards. I was an award-winning business owner and to go, this makes no sense. I can work at McDonald's and make more money than this. And so it's, understanding what is my I wanted security for myself and I knew that a job because I was a hairdresser that was my vocation right I wasn't going to get a job that paid me any kind of money I had to create my wealth right and although I have a ton of education I had no formal education and so entrepreneurship gave me the ability to make a thousand dollars a day right there's not many professions that you can go and make a thousand dollars a day with no education if you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so i was able to make great money for myself my children my family as a hairdresser I was doing a quarter of a million dollars a year as a hairdresser wow and to give you some kind of idea the average hairdresser makes today less than sixty thousand dollars a year so back then that was a lot of money Right now, I was spending it as fast as I was making it. I'm going to be honest. That was my down to my up, right? To go, oh, how do you make this much money and spend it all? Right? But I didn't have a budget. I didn't have a vision. I just, I wanted to get out of scarcity. Mm. Once I got out of scarcity, I went, okay, I'm out of scarcity now. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not in survival, right? I don't have to worry about that. What's the next for me? And so I think we're not really taught to create wealth, Right. Even in entrepreneurship, 80 percent, 82% of small businesses aren't profitable. Mm -hmm. Only 1.7% of businesses hit the million dollar mark yeah. out of those million dollar businesses. They're not paying themselves a proper paycheck. Yeah. Right. Not, not even talking about profitability. They're not even paying themselves what they would get paid if they were working for a company doing the same jobs that mm -hmm. we're doing. Mm -hmm. So part of it is education. Part of it's our plan, right? I have a life plan in every area of my business because I realized I had a really good, clear career path and a really good financial path. Personal life, what was that, right? Mm. Spending time with my family, what was that? Vacation, I was sleeping, right? I was recovering from all the work that I was doing. My spiritual life, that was empty, right? My intellectual life, empty, Right. Unless it had to do with work. Right. Or finances, because mm -hmm. that's what the priority was. Right. And I realized, you know, in my after I sold my business, there was this void because I sold my business and I couldn't go back into that industry. And so all of a sudden I realized my identity was so wrapped in this success that I created that when I didn't have that and I went into another market, people didn't know who I was. I was an icon in that industry. Like I'd walk in a room and, you know, it's like the mayor, everybody knows you. Yeah. Now yeah. I'd walk in a room and they're like, who are you? Who's, yeah. who's this lady, right? And you're like, <laughs> my ego was hit. I had to redefine who I was. It was a very masculine thing that my, my identity was wrapped up into my results. But it was a great opportunity. It was hard as that was, it had me recreate my life yeah. more holistically. Versus this masculine drive, protect, provide, protect, provide, protect, provide. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm still that way, but now I've in, in, you know, really embraced the feminine side with the masculine side, 
and go, there's something more to life than just working, right? You know, uh, there are, there, there, there's, there is, this goes back to relationship with money, one's relationship with money. And, and you, you really need to understand, Susie, that money's the root of all evil, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's the love of money, right? And I think we've all been in there where, you know, it's just that, that was me. If you think back on my younger day, money, 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 but that yeah. was for survival. Yeah. Because I was in such survival mode that there was almost a time that when I was, creating abundance i was out of survival but still in survival mm. and you go, oh okay wait that's just a cortisol stress and adrenal burnout that nobody needs but again not having that person to go you're not you're not honey you're no one's gonna get you <laughs> right? yeah you're, you're safe now right that was my journey of really discovering me separate from my husband right separate from that relationship there's also a paradox that's out there, and I've, I've kind of um, uh, taken a look at this a little bit, and I'm also trying to push away from it. Um, and that has to do with, it has to do with um, uh, the aspect of, um, you've got two paradigms here. One of them is, this is the land of opportunity, America, the United States. Uh, immigrants have come here over the centuries to, uh, to may have a better life. They're still coming here, uh, and uh, to the consternation of some. Uh, and we see some of the most incredible success stories. It's absolutely fabulous. Here's the other paradigm. Um, the wealthy in this country are looked at as the villains, and so we're going to tax the daylights out of them so we can afford to do the things that we need to do. Well, shoot, if I make a million dollars and you're going to take half of it, and that's probably may or may not be an exaggeration, um, what's the point? Well, yeah, but I still have 500000 okay. Yeah, but the government's taken half of what you, you, you made the million there. So you've got those two almost diametrically opposed um, beliefs that on the one hand, if I make too much, I'm not going to get to keep it all. On the other hand, I can make as much as I want because this is a land of opportunity. How does one circumnavigate those two elements? Well, it doesn't have to be hard. It has to be strategic. And so that conversation you're having is really a tax strategy. And so when you look at setting up your business, the, the misnomer is if I make a million, they're going to take a half a million. No, you're going to have 50% in cost of goods, in team salary, advertising. So what you might have left is a half a million to pay yourself, right? So you might, so that would be 250 if you don't have tax strategies, right? So I have many different tax strategies that allow me to not pay 100% on that money. I'm not taking all the money now. I'm deferring some of that income. There's only so much money that you need to live on, mm -hmm. right? And again, Wealth is a long game, not a short game, right? Everything is governed by cause and effect. Everything happens for a reason. Wealth is the effect of specific actions that you do to create wealth, right? It's all about planning. And so people become wealthy because they decide to become wealthy and do the things that wealthy people do. Poor people remain poor because they've not yet decided to create financial abundance and do the things that make it happen. For instance, I realized... I was spending so much money on Starbucks, 
right? I would get two coffees a day, so $10 a day. I wouldn't even finish the second coffee. It was just a ritual that I would go out to get me out of the office, right? And you times that by five days, right? That's $50 a week. You times that times the month. Now you got $200 a month times that times 12 months. You got $2,400 that you're spending on coffee. I went and got a Keurig, right? Or a nice espresso machine and went, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Like, what was the... Why did I need that? Well, it was like, got me out of the house early, go get coffee. That was like a ritual. Then leave at lunch, go get a ritual. Well, that $2,400 can be a retirement account. Like when you really look at Mm. what are you spending, most people's credit card debt, they have no idea what's on that, what was on that credit card. Like I look at my credit card, I know exactly what that money's for. And so when you look at the frivolous spending or filling a void, right? Women shop to fill a void. Well, what's that void? Let's work on the void versus you buying another pair of shoes, you buying another bag that you don't need, right? That's the discipline that the wealthy have versus the poor is that instant gratification. Now I had to learn that early because in my husband relationship, I had to file (laughs) bankruptcy, right? And that shifts the game completely. So Mm -hmm. inside of that lesson, I'm like, if I, if I can't pay cash, I can't have it because I was on cash basis because I had no credit. And so the blessing in that has taught me to go, do I really need this? Right? Do I really? So my first credit card after that bankruptcy was American Express because back in the day, you had to pay it off. And it gave me the discipline to think, why do I really want this? Can I pay it off next month? And the answer was no, I didn't get it. And I still to this day have that same philosophy more than 30 years later going, can I pay this off next month? Nope, I'm not getting it. My business doesn't have any debt. The only personal debt I have is my house. That's the only debt I have. And so when I look at most people aren't willing to make those conversations, that's an adult responsible conversation. Mm. Now, sometimes there's financial hurt, financial crisis that you might have to go into debt for. Like if you look at a medical issue, that's not normal for you guys, that your wife's in this period, right? To go, oh, she's on leave. So this might be different, right? I believe there's good debt and bad debt. The good debt is the debt you can see or it's gonna help you make money. Like a house is a good investment, right? They say luxury cars is not a good investment, right? So you wanna look at, is this a good investment or not a good investment, mm. right? So I think it's important for us to look at what 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 are my dysfunctions and being honest about your dysfunctions, right? And then expand your time horizon as far as possible. Yeah. I want you to think about five years, 10 years, 15 years, right? When I'm looking at my wealth strategy, I'm not looking at I'm saving you know, 30 grand this year, I'm looking at what will that 30 grand get me in 10 more years, right? How is that going to monetize itself? Is it better in real estate or is it better in the market, Mm. right? And then diversify, right? All my, my, I learned this in 2008, Richard, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you remember 2008, but I got Molly by 2008. We had sold our business for millions. We were heavily invested in the real estate market. And what felt like overnight, we had $10 million in assets, right? Real estate, we owned a building, we owned several rental properties, plus our primary property, heavily invested in real estate. And it was leveraged. It wasn't all cash, right? It was heavily leveraged because that was the model, right? Mm -hmm. Our our investment strategist was talking about it. Our real estate investment strategist was talking about it. We followed the rules, whatever the rules were. Like I was a good student, Richard, good student. I did what they told me to do. And in 2008, the rug was pulled out from under me. What felt like overnight, 
we lost $10 million in assets. Our portfolio went down, our, our real estate investments went down. My marriage of 17 years, gone, he couldn't handle. He felt he was responsible for the financial devastation for our family. So he left the relationship. And so here I am at 42 years old, thinking I don't have 20 years to rebuild. I don't have 20 years, I, I don't have the drive, I don't have the stamina, I just felt like I was clobbered. And I heard a voice in my head. And the voice said to me, Richard, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Get up. This will be your biggest victory and your biggest lesson. Get up. You know what to do. And I wish I could say that I popped right up, but I did not pop right up. I felt like a fraud. I felt like I felt like an idiot. I felt I was confused. Like, what do I do now? I had a non-compete in that industry. And I had two clients. One was a woman by the name of Lisa Nichols, who was in, I had been coaching for years. And the other was John Asaroff, two of the most sought after transformational leaders in our country. <coughs> I did a turnaround in John's company and I took Lisa's company from 1 million to 10 million. And it didn't take me 20 years because now I knew what to do. Now I knew the system of money. Now I understood because I was much more sophisticated. And so it took me about five years to start rebuilding my portfolios to really reposition myself. But I had the long-term vision. The first thing I did was invest in real estate. Found a property, put a big pound payment down, and then just chunk that property down. Paid it off as much as I could because I'm like, I'm going to have one asset and I will never leverage myself that way financially. So every piece of property that I have, right, that is an investment property, it's either paid for cash or I'm not buying it because I never want to feel that way again. I I'm too seasoned. Mm -hmm. I'm a little seasoned, y'all. If you're not watching this video, <laughs> it's not my first rodeo. <laughs> so again, I don't want to have that higher risk. When I was young, I could have that risk, right? Now I'm in my 50s. I don't want to have that kind of risk. I want to have more balanced risk. Mm -hmm. And so I share that to say, you will get mollywopped. You will get knocked down. You will have bloody knees, bloody elbows. What are you willing to do when that time comes? Are you willing to stay on the ground and have a pity party? Because I wanted to stay on the ground. I'm, I'm, like if I didn't have children, I don't know if I'd be here today. My children were my, again, my why am I saving grace? Because I was just devastated. And it allowed me to see that I can create anything that's possible, that I have the power to change this. And that when you know the strategy that you need to put in place to create wealth, not just money, wealth. Wealth meaning I don't have to work again. Wealth meaning that my lifestyle provides me um, a well-being that a job can't, right? That I can spend time with my children and my grandchildren and be able to have a life that I love. Entrepreneurship has created that for me. Yeah. I will tell you folks that um, the information that uh, Susie uh, uh, Carter is giving us, uh, susiecarter.com is the website you can go to to get more of this great information. The book, of course, Power Your Profits. We certainly hope that uh, you will go to her website and check that out. We're linked to her website both um, on uh, on our uh, website, uh, richarddugan.com, but also on the uh, uh, the SoundCloud 
uh, audio portion. I'm, uh, I am still working on that aspect of being able to create a link within the video itself uh, to, <laughs> to set that up. And uh, I'm learning. I'm learning. Little by little, I'm learning how to uh, create these uh, much better uh, presentations in video format. And uh, I thank you, of course, for, for being with us here on the program as well and, um, and assisting us in this process of better understanding our role uh, when it comes to money, here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. We're here with Susie Carter, susiecarter.com. We will be linked to her website, as I've mentioned, and, of course, her book uh, as well is uh, uh, Power Your Profits. I want to ask you three final questions. You may have addressed them a little bit as we've uh, done this uh, this uh, over-an-hour program that we've been chatting here, and I thank you so much. But for... it's so fun. We oh. both love what we're doing, Richard. This is work. Isn't it great? It's... it's uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, my father said to me. Uh, he, by the way, hates being referred to as a wise guy because he doesn't consider <laughs> himself wise. But um, I, I do. And he said to me, uh, well, a number of things he said to me over the years. But one in particular was <clears throat> uh, find a job that you love doing because you're going to be doing it for a long time. Don't get stuck like me. Now, my father didn't stay stuck. In the 70s, when I was in high school, he went back to junior college. He got his pre computer programming degree. Now, in the 70s, they still had fanfold paper and punch cards. Uh, so we had lots of stuff to draw with uh, when, we were, when we were younger. Uh, but he didn't stay stuck. And then, of course, the company that he had been working for for so many years decided to move to Utah. He did not want to move the family to Utah. Uh, so um, he, I guess, took his pension or whatever it was, and then he got another job uh, in the computer industry back in the 70s, early 80s, and so forth. So I, I took that to heart. But what's really funny, uh, uh, Susie, I didn't plan consciously on going into broadcast producing and, and radio and television and videos and so forth. I was going to a junior college myself after high school. And I was working uh, in the audiovisual department at uh, then at Phoenix College in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, they had a great sign outside the front door of the of the uh, uh, of the audiovisual department. It said, uh, "This is the uh, this is the Department of Redundancy Department." I love that sign. Uh, and we would basically, we would take all of the various audio and or video equipment uh, to the different classrooms and we would set it up. Uh, we would start it for them. We would leave and then we'd come back and we'd break it down, take it back to the AV department. And then my uh, counselor, my uh, a guidance counselor said, hey, you know, there's this radio station that's starting up and it's just up the street here. Uh, it's called Sun Sounds Radio Reading Service for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I thought, oh, okay, you know, I hadn't really thought about radio, but uh, okay, why not? Now, a little backstory: in eighth grade, we were to write that report, what I want to be when I grow up kind of thing, right? And again, I didn't put these things together in college. Right. Uh, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Pat McMahon. He's still on the radio in Phoenix, but then wow. he was on television. He was one of he was one of the cast members of one of the longest running kids shows, I think, in this country, if not in Arizona, called the Wallace and Ladmo Show. And he played a number of different characters, from this uh, uh, this bratty little rich kid named Gerald. 
uh, to Captain Super, a superhero. Uh, he played uh, a clown. He played a Marshall, Marshall Good. Uh, and it was all for the kids. Well, uh, I made a call. I got, uh, I got an interview with him. So I took my little cassette recorder. And I'm eighth grade. I'm 12 years old. And I go in and I interview him. I don't have the tape. I wish to God I still had the tape. I have a picture of him and I together at that, uh, you know, at that meeting. And uh, it wasn't until I was told about this job at Sunsounds that uh, my, my career just it started to roll. And now I was legally blind from birth. So I was not just an employee. I was also a client. I got one of the receivers where they read the newspapers and the magazines and the periodicals. Now, what they call audibles. I was listening to audibles long before they were ever cool. Yes. And I have found myself, quite honestly, in the right place at the right time pretty much throughout my entire life and especially my career. Now, when you look back on your life, do you find that in spite of, or maybe again, even because of, all of the things that have happened to you, as well as all of the choices that you made, that you actually were in the right place at the right time? Again, hindsight being what it is, 2020. Do you, do you look at it now and say, you know what? If it wasn't for all of these things, I wouldn't be here right now. Absolutely. Like, I didn't know the trajectory of what I'm, I'm going to say, God, your higher power. Like, when you said that, I'm like, that's a God thing. That's a God thing that was playing in my head. That's a God thing. That's a God thing. Right. And so when I look at even, you know, my divorce, I was in an abusive relationship. And I remember Richard being on the floor and he was on top of me and I looked you know, to the left and saw my daughter crying. And I visually saw my mom on the floor with a man on top of her. And it was that flash of like, oh, hell no. I will not teach my daughters this is okay. But that's all I knew. Like, if you weren't yelling at me or smacking me, you must not love me. Mm. Right? And so I, that was a God thing to go. I had to see myself in that environment. I had to choose myself powerfully and to choose something different for my family and choose something different for my daughter so that they can have a life that is unrecognizable, the, the men they choose today. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of work and that was a blessing. That was a gift that was wrapped in sandpaper. I, you know, I don't like that I had to go through it, but I was repeating the past and I was smart enough to get out of the past. And so even when I lost all my money on the floor, when I was crying, I'm like, what is the lesson, God? What is the lesson? What am I supposed to be learning? Because I was a good student. I was a good steward. I was responsible. It was easy to feel like a victim in that moment, mm -hmm. right? To go, I, I did everything right. I did everything you told me to do. Why? What am I supposed to get here? And that's when the voice said, this will be your biggest lesson and your biggest victory. Get up, go tell the people. I'm like, I'm not telling people this shit. I'm not telling people I lost $10 million. Mm, no, sirree. No, who's going to listen to me if I tell them I did that? And the funny thing was people started, you know, giving me standing ovations and they're crying and they're like, oh my God, that happened to me too. Thank you for sharing that story. Oh my God, I found myself in that same situation. Oh my God, thank you. I needed the courage to get out of this relationship. Thank you. I, I, I feel hope and possibility now. 
I didn't see that when I was in my shit. What I saw was just the pain and the sorrow and my looking good and trying to pretend that I had it all together. God was like, that's not real. That's not who you are. Show them the journey to show your commitment and your conviction, right? Your commitment and your conviction. I had to have commitment and conviction to my bigger why. My bigger why was my children, those two little girls. My bigger why was my bigger calling in life. And I had to make it up. Like, I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, God will never close a door without opening a window, but nobody mm -hmm. talks about the hallway. Nobody talks about when that door slams, like, which way do I go down the hall, right? And and the fear that it takes. That's why depression is so high right now. Alcoholism is so high. Uh, abuse, marital abuse, spousal abuse is so high right now. It's because we're in the hallway. Get out of that hallway. Go to, run to the window. Run to the light. Run to the light. <laughs> you know, so as much as those yeah. things, those, I believe those are your generals, yeah. right? That's your general stripes yeah. is when I was sued, like, why am I being sued? I'm a good boss. I, I followed all the rules like I thought. Well, apparently I didn't follow them the right way. So, you know, being sued was a lesson. And to go, you know what, Richard, you're being sued. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Let me show you what to do. Right? Because mm -hmm. you don't know as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And so being willing to share your hardship, to share that pain, to share your humanity is when the love comes through. Yeah. Where people see like, Oh my God, I have a bigger kinship with Richard now because he shared that story, right? Some of you listening to will go, oh my gosh, if she can do it, I can do it. And that's all I want. If yeah. I can do it, you can do it. You know, when you mentioned the hallway, immediately I flashed to the hallway in the home I grew up in with my four sisters and my brother and my mother and father. And we had one bathroom. Okay. <laughs> it was a three-bedroom, three one-bath brick home. Yes. And I, I saw that I saw that hallway uh, at, at the at the uh, beginning of the hallway. If you're facing down the hallway behind you is the bathroom to the right immediately is my parents. You go halfway down the hallway. There's my brother and my room and, and uh, our room. And then at the end of the hallway at the front of the house, all four girls shared one room. And they all came out alive, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, they did. <laughs> Uh, and they are great, uh, great sisters. Uh, sadly, I, I lost one of them in late March of this year uh, to cancer. But uh, that's the voice I'm hearing now is my sister's voice saying, hey, Richard, it's it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And it's kind of nice to sort of have a, uh, a, a recognizable voice to what I like to call my friend, my mm -hmm. inner voice, my yeah. still small voice. Um, we are always looking for, unfortunately, the, the quick and easy way. There is no quick and easy way when it comes to, to what we're talking about here. And I think even more importantly, Susie, uh, you would probably agree that, again, as you said earlier, it isn't about the money, honey. It's <laughs> about... Uh, it's about what is really important, and I I put it in this this one this one word, and um, that one word is it's really about community. Without it, you really don't have anything. And I I think that a lot of folks who find themselves quote unquote on the outs. I just did an interview with a gentleman who's got a uh, a program down in San Diego uh, called uh, Doors of Change for. Um, 
trans. Let's see. It's I believe it's a transformational age youth. In other words, it's young people between 17 and 25 who are living on the streets of San Diego. And he has found a way to help them through his nonprofit. And music is like the key. What was the one thing, if, if there was one thing, that helped you through the, the most challenging times that you would, you would now, let's just say, for the sake of argument, we're, not, we're putting no intent in this, ladies and gentlemen. Susie, you just lost everything. <laughs> All right. Everything's gone. All you got left are the people that are in your life today. What would you be turning to today to, I don't know, buoy yourself up, lift yourself up, rise up above what you've lost, uh, et cetera, et cetera? So I have a really tight inner circle. I don't have a lot of friends. I have quality friends, quality relationships. My children are the foundation of my relationships. We're, you know, they're in their 30s now. So we've truly crossed over into friendship. And so when I look at friendship, when I look at love, you know, love's a verb. It's an action. It's not this passive thing. I just can't say, I love you, Richard. That's, that's a word. I'd have to demonstrate that and show that. And so what got me through, because I don't have to pretend, I know what got me through. One was my children and my relationship with them and their belief in me. You know, and they're like, mom, you're not remembering who you are. You got this. Like, you create money out of air. I'm like, I do not. I just lost money out of air. <laughs> <laughs> and so their belief in me. And then my ride or die friends, my community. You talked about that. Your community, your tribe is your vibe. And so I had two really close friends that picked me up and said, you got this. Like, let's do this together. One was Lisa Nichols. I had been her coach for years and I have coaches in every area of my life, right? I have three financial coaches because again, I don't want to go back to losing it all again, right? So I'm definitely more strategic than I was in my youth. In my youth, I was learning and investing and strategizing. Now I have the experience. That's the wisdom that everybody talks about is mm. have some wisdom around it, right? I'm not just willing to spend money like I did in my youth because now I don't have, you know, you have a different trajectory when yeah. you get, you know, I'm in my fifties, it's a different trajectory. And so she said, just do for me what you did for you, and we can make money together. And what I knew is, it's strategy. Of course I can make money. And so her belief in me, because I really lost who I was. I was trying to redefine who am I now, because I threw the baby out with the bathwater. I think we do that in divorces. We throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? We believe the commentary, right? I was believing the commentary that was in my own head. I had a personal development coach, aka therapist that I went to regularly to let go of the shame. My husband left me of 17 years. Like, what, am I not a good wife? Like, what happened? Like, I didn't understand his experience because I'm just feeling left and abandoned, right? And as a young kid having abandonment issues, and I'd already known, I'd worked through, but now again, here it is again, like proof that you're not worthy, proof that you're not lovable, proof that you're not enough. And so I had to do a lot of personal development work. And so entrenching myself into going, what do I need to learn for myself? And again, what's the lesson? 
And so your, your community, people that you can tell the truth to and tell the ugly truth. Like it was ugly truth that I had to share. And then I got braver and started telling the ugly truth. Like I'm telling you the ugly truth right now. Like mm -hmm. it's just, it is what it is. Like it happened. And to pretend it didn't would be the tongue of my mouth and my tongue and my shoe going in a different direction. And what I know is I'm committed that if my story can help one person, whether it's a woman in an abusive relationship, whether it's a single mom trying to figure out how to feed their children, whether it's an entrepreneur in the struggle right now inside a pandemic, is to give hope. To go, there. there's hope when you reach out. There's hope when you tell the truth, right? You know, it, it's in the Bible, right? So when you start looking at the truth will set you free. And sometimes we're afraid to share the ugly truth. Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't mean it's the truth. It's your truth, yeah. right? It's your truth in what you're experiencing right now. Just like you were saying to that person that you're like, I just need to vent. That was your truth in the moment. It's not the truth. Mm -hmm. It's not how you really think. It's like, let me just blah, say it yeah. so that I can be free. Because mm -hmm. once you say it, there is a freedom to go, oh, I don't really feel that way. I think divorce is at an all-time high and abuse is at an all-time high because we're not saying the truth. Right. You irritate me or we don't have boundaries or you're not doing your share. Or you're not doing like talk about it. Like, let's have some real conversations, not the surface conversations. Right. That's where anger stems from. Anger stems from love and not getting it right. It's not just being stuck and angry. If you look at where anger stems, you know, underneath this, the whole is love. I'm not getting the love, which goes to regret, which goes into forgiveness, which goes into all the work you have to do. And a lot of people don't want to do that work because they don't want to be that vulnerable. Yeah. But that's the purpose of life. Yeah. The purpose of life is to experience that love. We, we are all seeking it from a partner, from a from our children, from our community. Respect is love. Yeah. We want respect because yeah. we want people to respect us, but that's a, a, an expression of love. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think, you know, we're talking about money, we're talking about business, but at the end of the day, we're all human beings. Yeah. Looking for that same journey, which is, how about now? Do you love me now? How yeah. about now? How about now? Do you love me now? <laughs> <laughs> how about now? Um, I actually had an experience like that when I was back in Phoenix uh, in, in late April um, where uh, we were there for my sister's memorial. And um, I came home from the gathering uh, from my sister's, my youngest sister's house with my mother and my aunt. I beg your pardon, my mother and my niece, who's the daughter of my eldest sister who passed. And um, we came in the house and my dad did not go to the memorial because he just doesn't have the stability. But they had it on Zoom. So he was able to watch it at home, which was great. And my brother had gone with us to he had left with us in the car. Well, he didn't come back with us. He was staying at the, my sister's house for a little while longer. He's going to be brought home by one of my other sisters. My father comes up to me, again, 90 years old, and he comes up to the dining room table, and I'm standing there chatting, and he looks at me and says, where's your brother? And my brother apparently can get away with this. I can't. Uh, because I says, well, Dad, I'm sorry to say we had to sell him in order to put gas in the car. <laughs> he immediately said, look, when I ask a question, I want an answer. And I said, I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, I didn't mean to make a joke. Uh, he's coming home. I told you know, coming home later yeah. with you know, my other sister. 
Later that evening, as I've put uh, and I, I, I gave my brother the bedroom. I took the couch out in the living room. I just I chose to do that. And um, so I'm there getting everything squared away and putting the sheets on and the pillow and everything. My father comes into the room. I turn around and he says, I want to apologize for being so short with you, being upset with you earlier. I said, look, Dad, I love you and you will always be my father and I will always love you. And we hugged a little bit and uh, and and, uh, uh, and 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 it was all good and we were fine. You know, I didn't see there was a problem even when he got upset because I had apologized and so forth. So later on, as we're getting ready to depart, I'm ready, getting ready to go to the uh, to the train station, the, the metro station to go to the airport. Uh, my eldest, uh, my second oldest sister, uh, who has uh, uh, her own conditions of stability, she's using a cane as well. And the two of them, my mother, my father and my sister, they're hugging, only they're kind of leaning sort of into each other. And my sister's, come on in, come on in here. Let's, let's all have a hug here, the three of us. And I said to the both of them, I said, do you know that if the two of you leaned into each other, you wouldn't fall down? <laughs> and they kind of got a little bit of a chuckle out of that. Um, I, 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 and again, I wasn't, I was just, you know, trying to lighten things up a little bit. They kind of right. chuckled a little bit. My, my brother apparently can get away with more of those jokes than I can because that's just his way. I, I think that's a defense mechanism of his more than anything. Uh, I, don't, I don't usually do that, but it just seemed like it was cute, and, and I thought it was cute. But sometimes we, you know, and our, my intent wasn't to be mean or anything. It was just I was having fun, and it was light, and we were, we were just coming back from, of course, again, my sister's memorial. And I have to say it was one of the most beautiful memorials I'd ever been to, a great mixture of laughter and tears. It was just a perfect mixture. It was absolutely fabulous. And I will share this with you as I shared with my listeners. Uh, you talk about um, a closure and, and, and being able to move forward. I didn't get to see my sister after her passing. They did not have a funeral. She was cremated. But my brother-in-law, her husband, I remember from the day I met him uh, over 40 years ago. They were married 40 years, by the way. He always had a camera with him. Well, the last picture that they showed in the last um, video presentation was a picture of him standing in front of the table where my sister was lying in the mortuary. Now, you couldn't really see anything. It was more silhouette, but you knew who they were. You could tell. Right. And my niece, his daughter, took the picture. Mm -hmm. And my sister, Cecilia, she's my second oldest, she gasped and then put her hands over her mouth and asked later, did you hear that? Is that always me? Um, and I just thought, thank you. Thank you for sharing this picture because it gave me closure. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and it, it was it's like I almost want a copy of that photograph. Yes. I mean, it was so beautifully done. It, it was the dim lights and all of that. And there he and my sister are together for the last time. Um, you know, and uh, it was it was absolutely fantastic. And even my my brother-in-law, he mentioned in the in his remarks, says, you know, we never had a lot of money, you know, but boy, we sure had a lot of fun together. Traveled mm -hmm. a lot, went a lot of different places, brought a child into this world who brought brought us grandchildren uh, to my mother, of course, and my father, great grandchildren. Uh, I mean, it was just 
you know, and so it goes to show what you're talking about in all of this is borne out through the life of not just, but of my my sister and her husband and their daughter and her two children. That's what they found as important. That's what they found as priceless, uh, beyond value. And when we talk about community, which to me is is the ultimate, that's what we're that's that's where the real gold is. And there's nothing wrong with acquiring wealth. Absolutely not. And that's a that's an area that we all, I think, uh, need to work on. And I want to thank you so much for being a part of this program. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing so much of you, Richard. That's a true leader, transformational leader. I appreciate you. I appreciate the time that you've allowed me to share with this community. And again, if I can be of service to anyone, you know, please reach out so we can help you. Absolutely. The website, suzycarter.com, S-U-S-I-E-C-A-R-D-E-R.com. We will be linked to her website as well. And we certainly hope that you will subscribe to either the podcast or the video cast. You know that you can listen to this program online at richarddugan.com. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story, where the podcasts are also available at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, uh, Burberry, I think it's how it's pronounced. We're also on Player FM, Amazon Music, and many other locations on the Internet. And we're also on YouTube, where you can watch the video casts of these programs. We also encourage you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, as we encourage you to go within and listen to your still small voice. You can call it the divine. I call it my friend. I have for, gosh, many, many, many years, decades, uh, as I've been listening. And we also ask that if you're able to do so, you can support the financial work that we have going here on Tell Me Your Story. We have a PayPal account. It's for your security as well as ours. And um, uh, so if you can do that, we have links on the uh, homepage of Tell Me Your Story of richarddugan.com where you can click on that link and boom, it just takes you right where you need to be. So uh, with all of that being said, I want to ask you, uh, Susie, uh, Susie Carter, three questions that I've asked all of my guests, and uh, you may have answered them to some degree throughout the program, but I like to ask them directly. The first of those three questions is, who is Susie Carter? Hmm. Well, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a friend, I'm a ride or die, I'm a soul sister, (laughs) and I'm an amazing woman willing to make a difference on this planet. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I want to empower business women to be fiscally responsible for themselves and their family and help create generational wealth. And finally, what is your life's purpose? That wealth is our birthright. It's not for some of us. It's for all of us. And I would add to that from my perspective, it is not a conversation about the redistribution of wealth. 
It's about making your own way. And Susie made it. And you can too. And I hope that you will go to her website, suzycarter.com. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette. I'm listening.